You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. We did, at the beginning of this term, five weeks on the Nicene Creed. Five weeks looking at what we called foundational doctrine. We looked at God our Father. We looked at the Eternal Son. We looked at the ever-present Holy Spirit. We looked at the church and baptism. And then we looked at the hope and resurrection. And so these were five doctrines. And just like a letter in the New Testament, we then felt we'd go from doctrine to practical. And so we've been doing this series, we're doing five weeks on making disciples. We've looked at parenting, we've looked at sex and sexuality. This week, I'm going to be talking about social media. Social media. Everybody is looking at social media. I don't know if you've ever seen this photo. Apart from the old lady, I found this just an absolutely fascinating one. Everybody else has got a camera out. If we're really honest, most people here would be involved in social media. Instagram have 100 million users every month. Google Plus has 111 million users Twitter has 330 million active users. LinkedIn, the business one, has 467 million users. So if you're really honest, most of us would be engaging in this every day. Snapchat. Snapchat has 191 daily users. 191 million daily users, and YouTube upload 300 hours of videos every minute. Five billion videos are watched worldwide every day. Five billion videos. Facebook. That's funny, because some of you are saying, oh, that's a bit old school. Some of you are saying, I've just discovered it. (laughs) In 2018... 2.23 billion monthly users. Monthly users, 2.3 billion. I mean, that's like almost half the world's population. Emails, if I had to extend this slide. Do you know emails, 269 billion emails are sent every single day. The average person... And some of you are going to get out your phone to find out whether you're above or below average. Will receive 115 emails every single day. Texts. I don't even know what this number looks like. There are 8 trillion texts sent worldwide. That's 15.2 million texts per minute. Per minute. Okay, let's make this really personal. Some of you know that Toby's working for the church. As a a younger person than me, I said, come on, let's have a little look at your social media usage. (laughs) In seven days, he had been on social media 10 hours, 59 minutes. I hope it's not in work time. (laughs) Do you know that he opens his phone 88 times a day. You see, the digital revolution has had a huge impact upon our life. And if we're making disciples, when do we ever stop and think about this whole topic? 
So we can think about the big numbers around the world, but what about you? Okay, let's just have a quick understanding of how rapid this change has been. So if we went through history from the life of Jesus to 18, for 1,800 years, the fastest that we traveled in the world was by horse. For 1,800 years, nothing went faster than a horse. Until 1804, when the iron horse was invented. It was the steam train. In this country, the first train service came in 1825. So you think all of world history, 1825, we're literally 200 years ago, we started traveling by train. 1844, Samuel Morse, yeah, Morse Code, he sent a Bible verse. The first thing that was sent by Morse Code was Numbers 23, verse 23, which says, what God hath wrought. There was suddenly this opening up. So suddenly, news could travel around the world at great speed. The world's first television wasn't invented till 1926, less than 100 years ago. First personal computers were mid-70s, 1975, 1977. Tim Berners-Lee conceived of the World Wide Web in 1989, the smartphone wasn't actually invented until the 90s. And yet there are 4 billion cell phoners subscribed around the world. So suddenly you think, wow, for, for hundreds of years we had nothing. And then literally in the last 200 years, things have just exploded like this. I personally believe this is a huge blessing to us. And I'm not stood here this morning trying to say, oh, golly, why is it a blessing? Why? Because it helps us connect. I've banged the drum several times this year about a Bible reading called CBR Journal. And I read my Bible each morning, one chapter, and then I'm in a couple of groups, actually, and I just WhatsApp out, this is what I got from the Bible. I can do that because of technology. I have a WhatsApp for my family. Some of you know I've got two kids at university. We connect through WhatsApp. Oh, let's put something on the WhatsApp chat. The sat-nav in my car is my phone. I've nicknamed it the bishop. I'm hoping that he's got advice from above that will get me there the quickest way possible. I always put the phone on the dashboard and say, come on, bishop, tell me how to get there. Even going back and forwards to my kids at university, I still turn the bishop on because if there's been an accident, he'll take me another way. I love using my sat-nav. I learn so much through technology. I don't know how many of you have seen the film Bohemian Rhapsody. I went to watch it recently. I really enjoyed it. But of course, the minute you come out of the cinema, you think, what's true about Freddie Mercury? Well, obviously, we know that he was an ealing boy. Well, I went to college here, but, you know, we're claiming. You suddenly discover, how do I learn? We know that technology makes us a lot more efficient. My son is now living at home, and I'm charging him rent. I said to him yesterday on the landing, I don't think you've paid this month. He opened his phone. He said, I have now. <laughs> you see, that's efficiency, isn't it? It's not like he's got to go down and pull out a load of cash and I've got to hand it and put it into the bank. We are much more efficient because of technology. The possibilities seem endless to travel, to communicate, and to learn. 
And, and, and as we look at this subject, I'm not going to stand up and say, oh, look, have you, does anybody know what this is? It's a book. <laughs> However, I do want to challenge us on some of the struggles and how do we look at these from a Christian point of view. Cheryl Turtle, she's a psychologist and TED speaker, says this in her book, Alone Together. The social web is bringing increased fragmentation to our lives. We have moved from conversation to connection, from talking to texting, from solitude to isolation, from interdependent to interconnected. And so she's saying, actually, there's this very sort of subtle shift that actually what's happened is we've so loved the benefits of technology, have we stopped to think about how it could be impacting our lives? A book that I've used quite a bit, um, I was going to say buy it and read it, but actually you've got quite a summary of it this morning, Struggles by Craig Groeschel. He talks about some of the struggles that we can have as a Christian because of the whole Social media explosion. Firstly, how do we recover contentment because of the struggle with comparison? So the minute you're on social media, we compare. And they always say, don't they, comparison is the enemy to joy. The more we compare, the less satisfied we are. Never before have we had so much and yet been so dissatisfied. We can have financial envy, we can have relational envy, we can have circumstantial envy. Social media often leaves us feeling slightly depressed. If we're really honest, we know what the inside of our life is like and we just look at somebody's best bits and we see the real, oh, they're having lots of fun and they're experiencing this and and you think, oh, they're out tasting that. They've gone to Gales already in Ealing Broadway. I haven't even got a Costa yet. We can feel like that. How as Christians, even with social media, do we celebrate the success of others? How do we have an attitude of gratitude? Nicky and I have been playing this game recently. Come on, let's think of five things we were grateful for from the day before. Just list it. Oh yeah, I'm really grateful for that. I was chatting to somebody else in the church and they said, I've decided to do a cynicism fast. So when I start getting cynical, I'm just going to think, no, I'm not going to give in to that. I think that's something we've got to challenge, a recovering of contentment. Our Father's given us so much, the danger is it erodes it. Second struggle that I think we can have with social media, restoring intimacy because of the struggle with likes. The more we relate online, the more we desire face-to-face contact, but the more evasive it becomes. I know we have a a front row of Americans over here, so I shall look to my left as I bring this stat. The average American has 338 friends on social media, but honestly would say only knows two people closely. The average American... Confess to this, that 25% have no close friend at all. So what's happened is through social media, we've become addicted to affirmation and we now consider community what before was just communication. 
And so we don't really get to know people, but we've just thrown out some facts about ourselves. Craig Rochelle said in his books, we're living for likes, but longing for love. The Bible talks about a personal God who loves us. And the Bible doesn't just talk about this relationship with God. It talks about a genuine relationship with one another. So often we talk about, oh, fill in your form. Why? Because actually we want to connect. Why do we say, oh, come to church? You could listen to the podcast online. No, no, because there's something about relationship together. Number three, what's one of the struggles for Christians in a social media world? Revealing authenticity because we have the struggle with control. The more filtered our lives become, the harder it is for us to be genuine and transparent. And yet, if we're really honest, we often connect to people in their weakness. I know my wife and I went through a very difficult time in our lives probably about eight years ago. And actually, I found people have connected to us much more when you've almost been broken and you've shared honestly than when you're always saying, oh, everything's going really well. Knowledge has become consensus. We struggle to accept the all-knowing God because we want to be in control. As a Christian, how do we go back to being genuinely authentic? Number four, what's the struggle for a Christian under social media? Well, I think this, how do we resurrect compassion because we have the struggle with desensitization? The more pain we're exposed to, the more difficult it is for us to care. We become desensitized to the people and world around. I admit this myself. You know, I watch a commercial and I think, oh golly, that's terrible. How could I help? I then see two other commercials and by the end of that, I've forgotten that I was going to do anything in the first place. I know that Matt Fontenon challenged us last week about homelessness in Ealing. And uh, I know that he, he got the tent up over the back there. And he said, oh, come on, let's gather some stuff. Let's make some packs. Let's give it to the homeless. And rightly, we all applauded him. And yet the challenge can be that we get so busy and we forget how many of us have brought stuff. Please don't go straight off to Morrison's now. You can do it at the end of the meeting and bring it back. But that's one of the challenges of social media age. The funny dog and the hungry man come up at the same time and are given equal weighting. Yet true compassion demands action. The danger I feel with social media is we can have lots of information but little wisdom. How do we go back to God who helps us be wise? Number five, I'm going to say quite quickly, reviving integrity, the struggle with secret impurity. We're tempted non-stop to see things that pollute. I was a paper boy when I was 13 to 18 for five years. And let's be honest, if you wanted to look at pornography in those days, you turn to page three in the sun, you'd have to go and find it. Maybe you're at school, you know, and somebody's dad had a magazine and he'd nicked it. It's almost like, how could you find it? Now, if you're really honest, porn comes chasing you. Rich covered it so well in two weeks. 70% of men aged 18 to 24 look at porn. 34% of church-going women. Golly, that's one in three. Look down your row. No, don't look because it's one of you. The 
the challenge has become that the internet has become a replacement for our memory. And in a world that never forgets, you have a world that never forgives. And so therefore, people feel like, I failed, I cannot, God forgives. Wasn't Amy's word encouraging this morning? Because God takes people that are broken and forgives them and uses them. Whereas the danger so often with social media is something you posted 10, 15 years ago gets pulled up. The world never forgets, but God forgives. Number six, remembering encouragement, the struggle with constant criticism. Constant online criticism encourages us to focus on the weakness, failures, and flaws of others instead of encouraging them. I read this week that more than half of young people using social media have been bullied. And I think, oh, how do we struggle with this as Christians when we believe that the Bible says encourage one another, support one another, build one another up, love one another? Number seven, reclaiming worship, the struggle with idolatry. God wants to be first in our lives, but people find it increasingly difficult to follow Jesus in a selfie-centered world. Idol isn't anything that you want more than God. Our culture says, show yourself, but Jesus says, deny yourself. Our culture is about exhibiting ourselves, and yet we're called to a life of humility, how do we walk the fine balance between social media? I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying this is a struggle for us as Christians. Number eight, my final struggle, and then we'll bring some solutions. Replenishing rest, the struggle with constant distraction. We live in a world with everything at our fingertips. It's overwhelmingly exciting, but we, dis- we need to rediscover rest and solitude. I read this week about something called nomophobia. Nomophobia. The fear of being without your mobile device. <laughs> I know that we're baptizing two students later. later. I read this week that, that some students are so concerned about being disconnected from their mobile device, they even take it into the shower. We laugh at that, 87% of teenagers sleep with their phone. 89% of adults check their emails on holiday. Tim Chalice, he's also written a book which I found very helpful on this subject called The Next Story. He said, with the ever-present distractions in our lives, we quickly become a people of shallow thoughts, and shallow thoughts lead to shallow living. And so we suddenly think, oh, we believe in this infinite God who's so deep, who loves us and wants us to take him, but we just go shallow. The technology that declares to you, be yourself, be free, is so often the technology that enslaves us. We cannot be in two places at one time. If I'm telling the world that I'm having a date with my wife on Facebook, she's telling me, you're actually engaging with your friends and not with me. Steve Jobs, the guy behind Apple, when he discovered he had cancer in 2005, he did a lecture and he said this, your time is limited, so don't waste it living somebody else's life. 
Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. I am not anti-technology. I've got the bishop with me in my car. But I do want us to think, oh, if we're being disciples, if we believe all this about God and we want to radically follow him, how do I do this? I've got uh, six very practical things that I'm going to skip through. Just while I'm doing this, there is a photo. This is a photo of an American photographer, Eric Pickergill. He did these photographs of normal life and, and took away the technology to try and say, Oh, doesn't it look bizarre? So you've got a couple in bed, but he's taking the phone out. It just looks sad, doesn't it? You've got a couple sat on the sofa, and they're just looking at their hands. You've got these three kids that are not engaging with one another because actually we've got so hooked on it. My first thing is this. I personally have come off some social media having read for this. I I used to blog regularly. I've stopped blogging. I'm no longer on Instagram. I no longer use Twitter. I'm not saying that you shouldn't, but I am saying, when do you stop and think again, what do I need to do? So for me, the second point is I've taken Facebook off my phone. I'm not off Facebook. I'm not anti these things. Many of you know I belong to a ukulele group. And the only way they communicate, because they're nearly all over 50, is through Facebook. If I came off Facebook, you know, I'd be out of the band. And I don't want that. But actually, I don't think I want it on my phone all the time. Number three, for me personally, I've stopped automatic emails coming through on my phone. Because the danger was, in my personality, as soon as I've read it, I think I need to answer it. And I get distracted and, you know, you think, oh, I'm meant to be doing some family time, but instead I'm thinking, emails come all the time. I found it so liberating just in the last two weeks. It's bizarre, really. Rachel, who works in the office, has probably found it really frustrating. She thinks, I emailed you, Pete. And I, I said, well, actually, I'm the boss, so I'll answer when I'm ready. <laughs> Number four, I would say a practical thing is, how do we make sure we don't have technology in our bedroom? I, I think whether you're a single or a married couple, I think, when do you just think, actually, I need some space? For married couples, you know they do a survey of sex in this country every decade. And they reckon the last time that they did it, the amount of sex happening in this country has dropped because of social media. Because people are taking it into the bedroom. Number five, some of you disagree with me on this, that's fine. I personally don't read my Bible anymore on the phone. Because I just found that I would open up the phone to read my Bible in the morning and suddenly get ping, ping, ping. And 20 minutes later, oh, I've got suddenly, God, dude, I didn't realize that happened in America because I've got a news feed coming through. I didn't realize those emails and that. And I think, oh, not read my Bible. I'm not missing breakfast. (laughs) So I go straight into the day. Different people do different things. My sixth thing would be this. Parents lead your children. And I think the challenge is that we say, oh, they're getting caught up in it. No, we are to model this. And we need to set some standards. We need to make sure that we monitor what they're doing and what they're looking up. And don't lie and pretend they're 13 if they're not. If they're, if they're 10, they can't have a Facebook page. 
How do we make sure that we go that way? Okay, removing technology can't cure the problem because technology didn't cause them. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus. So there are many applications that I would love to apply on social media. And so I think, oh, what about greed? What about envy? What about, I just felt there's one application that I wanted to bring this morning through social media. And I found it fascinating. I don't think Anna knew this, but she referred to it when she kicked off the time of worship. It's to do with identity. Identity. Josh McDowell, he's a USA apologist and author, says this, self-worth is a conviction that you have fundamental value because you were created by God in his image and because Jesus died for your sins. That's how we get our identity. Too many of us have an unhealthy self-image. You think, how do I know if it's unhealthy? I think if you're pessimistic, overly pessimistic on outlook, if you're extremely sensitive to the opinions of others, if you view other people as competition to beat rather than friends to enjoy, if you're defensive in your behavior and conversations, if you have an inability to accept praise, if you worry that the worst will happen, if you have a perfectionist behavior, then I sometimes think your identity has been robbed because you are made in the image of God and Jesus Christ died for you. I think this problem, which is why I went for this one, is as old as the world. Why do I say that? Because Adam and Eve were tempted, deceived by the serpent. Take the fruit, because then you'll be like God. So their identity was questioned. But actually, we know from the story that they were made in the image of God. So it's almost like, you know, the first lie had come in. Is that really your identity? No, it would be this if you did something else. Whereas actually God had made them in his image. We know this is true even of the people of Israel. When they were set free from slavery, the command was this, keep a Sabbath. Why is the Sabbath so important? Why? Because if you took one day, yet they'd been slaves for 400 years. They'd worked every day. So they thought it was all about what they did, what they accomplished, what they achieved. But suddenly one day you're resting because you, you're trusting in him. The identity is, are you an, an orphan, a slave, or a son? Actually, God wanted to say to them, I've taken you out of slavery to become my sons. That's your identity. Whereas the danger is that we let our identity get robbed. Even when they send the spies into the promised land. It says we feel like grasshoppers and we look like it to them. Why? Because their identity was being stolen and it led them into trouble. It led them into not going into battle and 40 years of wandering the death. We can think again of David and Goliath, that the people were lined up, saw the king, wouldn't go and fight because their identity was, I'm going to lose. Whereas David goes forward and says, I can't miss because of my identity in God. This is what I love about people getting baptized. You see, in baptism, what they're really saying is my identity is hidden in Christ. 
We've got a pool at the back, and in just a moment, we'll get the kids back in. The three candidates are going to come and tell their stories, and then we're baptized. And, and literally, when we push them down, it's like them dying, saying, Look, I've died to myself, and they come back up, and it's saying, I've risen, and I live with him. That is my identity. Regardless of what social media says, the truth is, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you are secure. Because in John 15 and verse 6, Jesus says to them, you did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. I was saying this morning, I didn't get a chance to share it. I'll say it now. I felt even while we were worshipping, I don't know if you remember the game as a kid called Stuck in the Mud. And I suddenly remember that. It, you know, if somebody tagged you, you were stuck. You couldn't move. So you just put your hands out and someone would crawl between your legs and suddenly you were set free. And I could feel so much, actually, I'm like that before God. I've just got stuck and I almost have to put my hands out and he comes to set me free. This morning you think, oh, golly, all these words are so good, but I don't even feel I can reach out to God. Just where you are, he comes to set you free. He chose you. You did not choose him. It says in the Bible, your identity is the fact you are significant. Hebrews 4 verse 6 says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. You're significant because of what God says, not because of what media says. You're loved and accepted because of him. Colossians 1 says this, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I am not anti-social media. But I don't want it to replace your identity in God. And I think if we're really going to be disciples, we've got to understand who we are in Christ. And that's not to say that we don't appreciate the benefits and use them, but we don't let it rob us of our identity because the Bible says we're something completely different. Not because we're good enough. The only thing we offer to our salvation is our sin. But he offers us unconditional forgiveness. And that's why I think it's going to be so wonderful. I'm going to hand back to these guys in just a moment. And we're just going to go forward and think, it's not about me, it's all about him. We're going to hear these three stories. But just for one moment before we do, I'd like to take a moment to pray for us. Because the reality is, all those numbers that I read out in the, in the beginning, the reality is that sort of fast progress of history, we're going to be caught up with that. And the reality is there's going to be some of us right now that you think, oh, in fact, Pete, I've probably checked social media four times since you've been preaching. I thought, you thought I was taking notes. And if nobody's retweeted me, I'm very disappointed. Some of you know, if you're totally honest, you just got sucked into it. And even say this morning, yeah, I don't want to get sucked into that. I want to realize my identity is in what Christ has done for me. So I'd love to take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for all your good gifts. Lord, we do thank you for technology. 
We thank you it connects us with friends and family around the world. We thank you for the opportunities. We thank you how efficient it could make us. We thank you for the things that we can learn. We thank you so often even inspires us in our discovery of you and worship. But God, we do want to come this morning and say, we don't want that to be the basis of our identity. We don't want to feel like we have to keep looking back to see how many likes we've got. We don't want to feel like we have to keep filtering photos to make ourselves acceptable, putting a mask out there. God, we thank you that we can come to you knowing that because of Jesus Christ, we're as loved as we could ever be. We are forgiven and accepted because of him. Help us to be radical disciples for you in this ever-changing, fast-paced world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.